after one year, I am actually within the confines of a radio studio, and I do not sound like I am in the confines of a garbage can. And I am not Aretha Franklin. It is not my birthday, but I am Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect. And this is Home Page Radio that comes on once a month here at WPKN, the great radio station in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And in this actual physical space for the first time in one year is Rod Richardson. Rod, it is incredibly great to actually bask in the glow of your physical reality. Well, I've, of course, been here the entire time. You're the one that's been the stranger. And I can see that the distance has... uh, it's made a difference. I mean, you don't sound like you're speaking from the from a garbage can, but you are speaking from behind a mask, and I appreciate the fact that we're both still exercising the proper you, social distancing and oh. the proper COVID procedures um, because we're not done. Well, not just that. I am speaking through an applied prophylactic microphone shield, which enables, which enable, which actually, in case my mask has been defeated by, by and and actually bad, evil th- chunks of of COVID come out, it will absorb them. So the next person that speaks in this microphone will not have to deal with them. What I find interesting is your use of the word prophylactic because it reminds me of the theme of last month's show. Yes, and, you know the sort of inflated language yes. associated with architecture. So, yes, so common common things you can do that too you don't have to be an architect to speak big no you you basically speaking big is is the default mechanism of all shallow people which is why i do it very often and not only that what is really incredible is that in this time all of these things are getting reviewed i mean rod's presence the radio station my speaking uh, through a garbage can filter and Everything else, this has been an incredible year, and it's been, to me, extremely depressing. And Rod and I were just talking about the fact that it's been unbelievably difficult in terms of sleep. There's a strange thing that goes on now. But I think also, this is home page radio, and it is about the home. And the home has been incredibly important, more important than any other time in our lives this last year we have been at home we've been sequestered this is a time when our perspective is based not in an isolated free body that goes between work and museums and the movie theater and the and the restaurant and come home no it's basically the vast majority of humanity has had their reality keyed to a single place and that is the home And that has been a change for an entire year. And why I'm doing this show today, and I'm going to call this show Home to Us, is that I think we're having a moment. I think that the freak of the plague, bit by bit, is abating. Not a lot. As of this moment, literally this moment, I am street legal. I've taken two vaccines, and I've had two weeks since the last vaccine. So despite the mask, the microphone prophylactic, besides everything, I am still in COVID. I can still transmit the disease. I can still do, I can't do the things I want to do. That just won't happen. But it is true that we are leaving sequester. And it is also true that we are at the advent of spring. We are also at the advent, please, our Lord and Savior, get us away from zoom soon 
This is a year where, where we are in our homes, but we are coming out of them. It's a full year that is, no, is extremely different, and it really means that we've had an extreme exposure that will now become a break from that exposure. What does that actually mean? We all live somewhere. It, it doesn't matter where we live, but we, we now have based our lives in that for a full year, and this is now changing we're changing away from being freaked out and maybe being screaming harpies about those who are not wearing their masks or being desolate home home homebound hermits or just plain angry we've had a whole year of distractions and of different things happening in our lives but also of extreme focus and in all this weirdness we've been at home so what do you do with a year of intimacy well, what we do here at Homepage is we really are going to bring in three of the wisest, most interesting humans that I know in terms of dissociating the extremely personal and making it accessible. Now, what does that? Well, to me, a person who writes from her position of observation and looks out to the rest of the world does that. So we're going to have an incredible naturalist and writer, Christine Woodside, come. Who else does that? Who else takes the immediate realities of our lives and holds a mirror up to herself and us, but a poet? And we have an extraordinary poet. Sheila, Sheila Bonenberger is going to be on today. And we all are in these spaces. I'm in this space with Rod right now, and we're sitting here, but we don't think about the spaces so much. We react to them. But the truth is, these spaces shape us. Well, who shapes the spaces? Well, Roz Kama is one of the best interior designers in the country. She happens to be in New Haven. And she has thought about how spaces are shaped for her entire life. And also what the biosphere means. What, what, what the reality of the world around us means. So this is WPKN, the only radio station I know that can think in these terms. And if you want this station to keep existing, and if you want us to help make a new radio station place, I'm going to beg you right now to go online and make a gigantic donation to, to WPKN or give a call. I think somebody's around 203-331-9756. Did I get that right, Rod? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, and donate what you can now. We're going to take a break before we get to Christine Woodside. This is a perfect time to stop listening to me blather and to basically say, here's a million dollars because they would accept it if you have it. And they will also accept, I think, Bitcoin. I'm not sure, but I think they will accept Bitcoin, whatever. Hog bellies, it doesn't matter. But we are creating a studio right around the corner here in Bridgeport. And, and there's no bottom to, bottom to the pit that we need of money to make this the best possible place we can be. So when we come back, on homepage radio, 89.5 FM on your radio dial, and streaming, I hope everybody's streaming here, we're going to be talking to Christine Woodside, a pretty amazing writer.
So I'm Dugo Dickinson. This is Homepage Radio. Once a month, we get together and we talk about our homes. Well, we also are getting together now for the first time with me in a studio. And that swap, that change, that break, that heavily protected and thoughtful break with me having uh, vaccines and, and protections and distance from everybody here, that break is the beginning of a thousand breaks, and the breaks will change this last year into whatever the next year is. But we're not even close to being where the next year is. But I do think our homes are at the font of how we look at the world. And I do think how we look at the world is often filtered through other people, people other than ourselves. We see things the way we want to, and also we see things the way we have. But there are people that see things broader than that. Christine Woodside is one of those people. She is a visiting journalism professor at the University of Connecticut. She's written books about the wilderness and travels, and she's writing right now about New, New Jersey tenant farmers. She writes for the Connecticut Health Investigative Team, and she is the editor, or an editor, or maybe the editor of Appalachia Journal. Her writing is incredible there. Her book, Libertarians on the Prairie, is an extraordinary uh, piece, but what I want to deal with right now is Christine's thoughts about the pandemic. Now, fortunately for us, she has written some about this. And before I introduce her, I'm going to basically read a paragraph that she wrote about, about a, a piece with her sister about the concept of packing emergency duffel bags that help them quote. But before she does that, I'm just going to write this quick excerpt and see if you can, she's a great writer, so I see if you can just read into this, or not listen into this, what I'm going to say in terms of what you think. Hiking out my ledge in 2020 mimicked the transformation of the pandemic brought to the wider world. I realized that these hikes were not a diversion, just as the coronavirus would be no temporary visitor. In fact, society changed that spring, and it will continue changing. I'm different now. I've changed. And my life from now on will be divided into the time before the pandemic and the time after. That spring, I crossed a line into the new reality the way I hiked over the rolling dirt tracks to my ledge. And I realized that I could learn to navigate the post-pandemic world and to help those I love to do the same. Welcome to Homepage Radio, Christine Woodside. Thank you, Duo. It I'm is really an honor to be here. Well, it's wonderful to be I here. I wanted to mention um, that I wrote two things during the pandemic. One of them was this essay that you're reading from. Uh, for I wrote it for Estuary Magazine. And the other was a different article that I wrote with my sister, which uh, ah. if people wanted to search on Zippo 6, um, we wrote that for the shoreline papers uh, about using emergency duffel bags as a way <laughs> to help us cope. <laughs> and so that was our double byline. And you can, uh, I'm sure if you just search for me and my sister's named Ann Gribbins, you could find that. That's true. But this is my ledge, my secret ledge article, which, wow, hearing you read, it's fascinating. 
Well, what's interesting about this is that, you know, we all have language and, and, and the language completely binds us in a way which is, well, I guess, not unique. Birds sing to birds and, and, and animals relate to each other in a thousand million ways. But I really do think that um, one of the things that makes humans humans is our homes because they're not burrows or anthills or nests. They are completely envisioned and embraced and also affected and created by us, each for one of us individually. And so speaking as, as a homeowner, as I am, I'd love to hear your thoughts now on how you're surviving and how your home and your daughter's homes have been in fact, uh, impacted by this. Yeah. Well, my husband and I live in a little Victorian house that I call a house for elves. It's really <laughs> better if you're five foot one or something. Um, it has a funny little curved staircase. And we found that we really enjoyed each other's company immensely uh, um, this year. That said, we both were still going out to work. I have an office I rent out of the house that is at the back of a building in Chester. I could be completely sequestered back here, and basically nobody knew I was here. And he was continuing to work um, at his job where they were dividing them up into groups and that sort of thing. So we came together in the evening. We did decide to redo the bathroom this year, got our brother-in-law as part of our pod <laughs> to uh, do it for us. And um, I don't think I would have wanted to do that project or even thought of the project if we were not looking at the house so closely and thinking about, you know, is this where we're going to live forever? And the answer is probably it is. Interesting. Now, our daughters did not have such serene times. Uh, both of them moved during the pandemic. Wow. One of them is a nurse in Los Angeles, and she and her boyfriend moved um, in the middle of that while they were also tending, um, the, you know, the very sick and dying in their hospitals. In a very difficult year for her. Mm. And then my other daughter, Annie, she made a cross-country move from Baltimore to Nevada this year because of circumstances in her partner's life that Mm. led that they needed to get out there for a grad school situation. And anyway, Mm. wow, we helped her move with masks on, you know, packing bags. And and, um, the the amount of worry uh, that I expended on my daughters uh, was, I worried about them, but I knew it wasn't up to me. Everything was harder this year to do. All those kinds of transition things you do when you're young, yep. um, it was everything was harder for well, them. What is interesting is, you know, the, the, the stories of travail and truthfully tragedy. I mean, nobody that I know personally died, but many people I know got the disease that I know, and several people I know who are known by others died. And in this time of bereavement, I guess, for many, but also terror by many, this has to have changed us, as I think you've just said, it, it obviously has had impact, but you are unique among writers that I know personally in that you understand the environment well enough that you describe it in both poetic but also practical or, or, or terms that mean something to people. But you also understand history and the culture, especially here in New England. I'm going to ask a very weird question of you, and you could tell me you don't know, or maybe you've got some thoughts on this. I would love to hear where okay. you think this falls, this event, this year, all these difficulties. Where do you think it falls 
in our general history as a culture, especially here in New England, and it rela- how it relates to our homes. Have there, have there been other times like this? Have there been times where we've changed holistically like this? Yeah, I, well, I think this is a major historic event, and I'm always telling my students at UConn, um, I hope you're taking notes, because this is a, we're living through a major historic event, and it's also one that the journalists are trying very hard to cover. Mm. But compare this to the 1918-19 um, flu pandemic, which was also a major historic event in the history of public health and how people interacted and, you know, fear of disease and that sort of thing. Uh, that was almost not covered at all. It was just people were ignoring it. You know, don't worry, said the Surgeon General. <laughs> so, uh, um, I mean, now, um, well, I mean, first of all, the open office is dead, and yeah. people are are going to think very carefully before we do anything with other people. I think that will um, be rippling out for a good four years or so, I would guess. Yeah. Um, we've found out whether we like our own company or not. Mm. And the way we interact with the natural world has changed. Access to trails, wanting, not wanting to run into crowds. Mm. Um, How do we, how do we interest uh, those people who like to interest large groups in going into natural areas so that they can develop a, a constituency, I guess, for conservation, all that stuff, everything has been upended in that world. And, so, you know, my, my secret lead story that you read from, I went to a place where I knew I wouldn't see anyone. That was how I coped mentally. And while I was there, I'm looking at, at you know, old roads, old foundations, ledges, mm. Mm. signs of old farms. You know, our we've been around New England a long time. We've been fussing with it and interacting with it for a long time. And, and it's going to continue to change how we interact with it. Mm. Well, before we close out, having you read a paragraph from from the the selection you sent to me, the last paragraph that I have, I just ask you to to synopsize for you how the perception of home for you and your husband Nat has changed. Uh, Nat would probably say he hasn't changed at all. <laughs> <laughs> he is pretty consistent. Um, he, would, he, he would say, "I don't, I, I don't like change. This is where we are." Now, I've always felt that home for me is where Nat is, whether we're in a tent or whether we're, you know, traveling in a car somewhere. I've constantly um, wondered whether we ought to stay in the house. But during this year, I've accepted the fact that uh, this is our house. So I've started looking at it more closely. Mm. I've looked, I'm starting looking at the peeling paint with more love. Um, <laughs> I feel a little bit more at peace uh, uh, about about where I am in life and mm. how that that home is is my is my refuge and it, it's a reflection of who we are in so many positive and negative ways and mm. so you know anytime you have any kind of emergency situation um, you know even if you're in a storm or something we all kind of go wow I know what matters now mm. and you know what matters now is that um, I come home on a Tuesday night and Nat's standing at the stove and he's cooking for me and we're going to eat together and do that ritual mm. and, and we continue those things. And, and what we probably do going forward is we're not going to venture out and do as much. In, I mean, we do things in the community for sure and we miss doing those things. But I will be more careful about what I pick mm. because I realized how important that home piece is to me, uh-huh. you know. 
I don't want to run home and go, I got to go out to a meeting in a half an hour. Bye. You right. know, I want to go home and, and just take a deep breath. Well, to close out, everybody who's listening, just maybe close your eyes and not, well, don't do that if you're on the road. Please do not shut your eyes if you're in a car. However, um, Christine, could you actually just read for us with people thinking about you being on your ledge? Could you just read that for us? Sure. On my ledge, I sort out all of these feelings. Up here, time passes on a different scale because the way I experience it falls out of expectation or measure. Getting here, I try not to match ground covered to minutes on a GPS. I try not to mark time on the clock out here either, but I usually fail at that. Returning to a secret place over and over narrows my vision and focuses understanding into one outdoor universe four stories high, higher than any other ledge or building around here. I think it all through. I'm lucky. I am healthy and still have work. And so does my husband. Our two grown daughters who live in California and Maryland, and that's changed now, are holding on well. I trust that they will be okay. I worry about them the way mothers worry. But I mainly just feel love for them and think of ways to express it from a distance. Christine, that was wonderful, and I thank you and appreciate your writing very much. This is Christine Woodside. Look her up. She does great things. Thank you, Duo. And this is Homepage Radio. I'm Duo Dickinson. We're going to be back with Sheila Bonenberger, one of the great poets I know personally. And I think her insights into poetry and where we're at and how we live will be helpful in this change time. Welcome back. This is Homepage Radio on WPKN 89.5 in your FM dial. And WPKN is an extraordinary place, and it is a place that is in transition just as we are now. We're in transition into spring, of course, that happens every year. But we are in transition for the first time in a century from a place of pandemic, of plague, and going into the rest of our lives as things like uh, medicines and and different ways we organize our lives and our homes are fully coming into effect and we'll live the rest of our lives changed, but we'll live it out of the panic and fear of sequestration. That'll happen at some point when most of us get vaccinated, but more importantly, that change for PWPKN right now means that we would love it if you could go to the website and donate because we are moving the studio and I've been blessed and I'm grateful for being the architect that is helping him do that. Of course, I'm doing it for free because I believe in this place. And I believe in the fact that that humans need things like this just to make our culture better. If you want to donate now, 
uh, just give a call right now, 203-331-9756. I promise we'll be here when you come back and we'll still be talking to an incredible poet named Sheila Bonenberger, who I've known for a great good long time, really since my wife started going to law school in 1983, I've known Sheila. And I knew her as Sheila Dietz because I would see her poetry under that name, Sheila Dietz. But Sheila Bonenberger has lived in Connecticut, and her poetry has appeared in the American Poetry Review, the Antioch Review, Beloit Poetry Journal, Crazy Horse, the Massachusetts Review. And just, just this December, she was uh, in the an issue of the Wrath-Bearing Tree, um, which was established by combat veterans and is maintained by a diverse board of veterans. And her son is an extraordinary veteran as well and, and has written extensively, Adrian Bonenberger, about being a veteran. But more than that, she is a person that has been recognized by the Connecticut Commission on the Arts for a grant because she can actually, just as a human who thinks the, this way, she thinks differently about, um, I think, our place in history and our place on this planet so, Sheila, thank you. Thank you for being on Homepage Radio. And I'm so glad that you mentioned transitions because that has a lot to do with what happened before I arrived at this, this poem that I've shared with you called The Furniture of Poems. Hmm. Um, I really went through several stages, you know, with the pandemic. At first, I just heavily scheduled myself because I was going to power through it. It was only lasting two weeks. And then gradually, as summer kind of meandered into fall, and before what I call the long reverie of winter, mm. I started sort of finding myself looking out the window more often. I started playing with our dog and our cat and watching them. <laughs> I reorganized the rooms. I moved the furniture around. Well, so, so you actually took it to quite personally in terms of your home. You actually, and we did too, by the way, in our home, moved things around. And as you're looking at this, do you think... Do you think right now that your home will be different a year from now? Well, my home isn't going to be different, but I am different. Mm. You know, it really put me into a different space psychologically and emotionally, which I know is something that everybody has experienced to one degree or another. For one thing, around this time, um, I started getting in touch with a lot of memories. I was just being flooded by memories. Hmm. And one in particular that came to my mind a lot was had to do with my dad. Uh. My dad, you know, he would go around the house typically, and he would repair things, and he would build things, and he would fix things. But he also did this really interesting thing where he would wind the clocks up. Uh. And I don't know if you remember when we had clocks that had had to be wound. Yes, <laughs> yes. A mutual <laughs> friend of ours, by the way, has nineteen of those. Oh wow! <laughs> well, I just I loved to watch him. I would follow him around, and he, because he always talked about the clocks and their history, and mm. it was in such a loving way, and um, and it was just a much more intimate way that he was, you know, being in the in the house in the home. Yeah. Well, one day. I was probably about four or five, and the floor clock just stopped. The pendulum was just hanging there, and I remember it was stuck on 2.30 in the afternoon. And I remember feeling really afraid that something horrible had happened, something terrible, because I knew there was a connection between these clocks and why everybody was doing what they were doing. Mm. Well, that, that feeling of being unmoored came again in about October of last year, 
And that was when I started to inhabit the home in a less utilitarian and more dreamlike way. Now that is interesting. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I do, but I want you to say it because I think I think a lot of people feel the exact same way, and you put your finger on it uh, in a way that I think deserves your words. Tell us how this home has become more dreamlike for you. Well, for one thing, time just seemed to dissolve. I mean, mm. it started to seem like two thirty in the afternoon just never arrived, and it never left. It was, it just was. It was sort of endlessly two thirty for a oh. long time. <laughs> just like when you were four. Exactly. So that was where the memories came in. But I was transitioning. I didn't know it at the time. I felt like I, I went into a place where I was just at odds with everything. I was at odds with language. I was at odds mm. with, you know, everything. And um, it was very, very hard to write during that period. Um, I, 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 you know, I was reorganizing the house. I found this perfect spot for a new bench. But when I looked at it the next day, I couldn't figure out why I'd put it there. And on some non-rational level, it started to seem like the furniture was moving itself around at night. Wow. And, and I started to imagine that the words and the things in the house actually had opinions. Well, you know, when you think own. about it, when you think about it, when we are confronted with, with a place that is essentially the direct extension of us versus a place we come back to that fundamental difference between a home as a place of protection and then secondly a home as who you are that's threatening when you think about it because your home then as you don't have the excuse of oh it's just it's just my home i'll clean that up later it's it's mess is you or it's dysfunction is you and i think that personalization of the home has been 100% there for many friends that I know that are completely homebound. Now, now I, a little bit, a little bit like Chris Woodside, I have to go to an office and I've been for the first three or four months completely by myself. And now we have some people come in, the doors are open, the air conditioners are on, even when it's 30 degrees outside, but I go somewhere else. And my guess would be that you are in your home a lot, whereas before you weren't. Is that right? Uh, to a degree, but, but part of it was that, you know, I, I took a lot of walks and long walks, and I also went mm. to the store, and I also would get together with friends, um, you know, at the on the patios of restaurants when they were doing that right. outdoor part, that early outdoor part before it changed. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so, not entirely, but I am retired, and my office is at home. Oh, there you go. So, and there was a period where the lockdown started to seem very intense. You know, it, it almost felt like, yeah, you shouldn't really even go outside. Right, I right. don't know. It could turn out badly. <laughs> and as, as much as I, as much as I didn't really feel like that was 100% the case, I did, it did kind of get to me, you know. Well, I will tell and, you this. We, we have a few minutes left. And in these few minutes, I'm a, I've asked Sheila to read a poem for us. So once again, if, if you're driving a car, do not shut your eyes, but you might want to shut your <laughs> eyes and listen to this piece that I see as the name is The Future of Poems. But right now, what I would ask Sheila to do is, Sheila, if you could just read us your poem. I would be glad to. And of course, everything I just said is what led me to this poem. So it's called The Furniture of Poems. Sometimes words are wild, like animals we try to capture. 
It doesn't matter if we put them in cages or release them inside our homes. We want words like tiger, maple, table, its true roots once in the ground, to sit still and do what we tell them to do, and still love us when we urge them onto a page, as I am doing now. We hope that feeding them with attention will coax them to cherish each other within our poems, within our homes, to trust us. But they watch us the way we study chairs we have misplaced because we don't understand them, which is often, much too often. Oh, they are thinking, remembering. They have their own lives to recall how it all began in a cave, in a tree, around a fire, in a story, a hunt, some lines scratched on a wall. Lines that twist and turn through time until we have cleave or fast, which even then won't hold still, will we'll insist on having more than one meaning. We think they belong to us, that no one else has arranged them in the same clever way we have, when it is we who belong to them. They don't laugh at us for this, not really, and although they toy with us, they are not malicious. Sometimes they will let us catch them in the wild. Then, if we go about this properly, with deference, even reverence, they may allow us to coax them onto a page. In their hearts, they know a poem is an open space like the sky or what's outside, an open door, a gate flung wide. And after all, cage is one of them, just a word, something they can, by changing places, turn into wind or wave. Wow. I'm, I want you to talk... Because, as always, your poems make me uh, think and also feel. I I want you to talk about just the phrase, a cage, a gate, sorry, a gate flung wide, and after that, cage is, and after all, cage is one of them. I'll read it again. A gate flung wide, and after that, all, uh, sorry, and after all, cage is one of them just a word. Tell us, tell us what you were thinking in that, in terms of what we were just talking about, in terms of a home. Well, it's through, you know, there are many ways for us to, to feel uh, excused from, or released from, or freed from the constraints of time and space. And so, mm. for so many people, this has been, you know, not the prison or the sanctuary, but a feeling of being trapped. And one mm. of the ways that this happens is, you know, through reverie. And mm. also um, through love, you know, you think about Dunn's poem, The Good Morrow, wherein he writes, For love, all love of other sights controls, and makes one little room and everywhere. Mm. Well, it's also happening through language, and I began to pay attention to things in the home around me, and thinking about why we called them what we called them. Why do we call a cabinet a cabinet? Why do we call table table? And so that meant a trip to the dictionary and into the word origins or mm. roots. They began to have their own presence, and this is the wonderful thing about paying attention. Mm. Because a home isn't a small place, it's a huge universe. Even a table is a universe. A word mm. is an entry into a whole world. Look up any of these world, words. Table, for instance, in the Oxford English Dictionary goes on for pages. Mm. You know, we want it to mean one or two things. No, <laughs> it's, it's a whole world that's inside the door that you open when you open a word and you go out into it. So there's so many ways to be in everywhere, in and everywhere, um, even in one little room, as Dunn says. Well, with that, 
you're a gift, Sheila Bonenberger, and thank you. Thank you for sharing this uh, with us. And look at her work, Sheila Bonenberger, um, and I think you'll be amazed. This is Duo Dickinson Thanks. Homepage, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to one of the great, um, really one of the great interior designers around, Roz Kemmer, who happens to be in New Haven and lives in my hometown of Madison. So when we come back, Roz Kemmer who will give us the spatial perspective that we've just received in prose and poetry. Welcome back to WPKN 89.5 FM. This is Homepage Radio. We come here once a month and we talk about things, well, things about homes. Not the DIY or style fetish realities that are you're inundated with on House and Home Advisor and other places. But basically, where are homes in us? Really because everybody has a home and it is one of the universal binders of humans like language. And in this last 40 minutes, we've heard from one of the great prose writers that I know, Chris Woodside, and one of the great poets that I that I know, Sheila Bonenberger. And they both made the extraordinary connection that the universality of home becomes both intimate, but also objectified by the fact that we spent the last year in really a time that is unprecedented for the last century and will not be repeated again and is, like spring, changing. And we know it's going to be different. We don't know when it will be totally different. So we have this one interregnum, this one period between the fear and devastation of a sequestration and the liberation and the joy of the end of the sequestration. We are still trapped but we see that there's a place where we will be free so that's why this episode of homepage radio is called home to us in other words i think we are sort of coming back from home having lived in those homes well homes really are just our space they are where we are no matter it's a home or a back of a car or an apartment or a room in our parents house our homes are who we are and where we are and in this particular sequester time, I think they've become spaces that we are completely enmeshed in now. And because of that, I want to welcome Roz Kama. Roz, how are you? 
I'm well, thanks, Duo. Well, let let me just let you know a little bit about Roz because it's not she's not just another human like you or me. Roz is somebody who's dedicated her entire <laughs> life to doing things that involve the the, the basic realities of, of space. She's, she's been interior designer and heads uh, forever and basically heads a firm called CAMA, just capital C-A-M-A, and, and she has done it for 38 years. And she was the national director of the decorating world's, designer world's uh, version of the AA, the ASID. She is the, and she's the chair emeritus of the Center for Health Design. And she writes and lectures, and she and she works a ton in the intersection of health and the design of the built environment and well-being, and and she even authored uh, the a, a thing called the evidence-based healthcare design. I guess it's a book, right? It's a book. It basically it says it's a book. <laughs> it's a book, and it basically uh, talks about how our health is directly related to our spaces. And she has an honorary doctorate from the New York School of Interior Design. She's and yada yada yada. She's been in ever, tons of magazines. She is an extraordinary human being in the world of interior design. So Roz, thank you for coming on Homepage Radio. Thank you, Duo, and we work together. We do. <laughs> we do. Oh, <laughs> we do. We do. But uh, now, as someone that really understands all of this, really. Uh, complicated but at the same time elemental realities of human perception of their homes how have your perceptions changed as a homeowner in this time well it's interesting you know i think back a year ago and i remember being frightened and wondering how will i run you know, a firm that works beyond local in the next six weeks, you know, like you, I have staff and design is very interactive. And I call my position management by walking around. How would I do that from a remote position? And here we are one year later, I'm still doing it from home. Others Mm. in the firm have gone back to the office, but I have found my secret space. Um, So full disclosure, I uh, designed the home that I live in and designed it, you know, clearly to share with others, but it's just me and my husband. And so, you know, I've, I've not, I've not sequestered myself. So I haven't like really been held prisoner to my home, although we haven't done much. You know, I, on the other hand, have you know, live through this Zoom world. And if there's a fault anywhere, it certainly has been there. But, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm up, you said I've worked for 38 years. I'm a product of the 70s. Mm. I kind of think of it as a pad. You know, multiple things are happening. It's my first space where I live. It's my second space where I work. It's my third place where I think. And so this blurred line between, you know, the rooms that I've sort of closed off for the the mess of being a designer because we have stuff versus, you know, where I've considered home to be the place to bond. I loved, I think it was Sheila who talked about the word table. You know, the table is really important in my life because I love to cook. So, mm. but I haven't invited as many people to the table. So Ron and I, at night, sit down probably way too late because I work too late. Um, but we sit down and have home cooked meals. I've avoided mm. the takeout syndrome and I've cooked. Oh. And I like candles. Mm. So it's, you know, it's like creating this 
this wonderful place that is a combination of things and but it flows in and out and 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 I think that's what's really made you know my time at home special well it's interesting is that is that everybody's had to deal with the fact that they can't go anywhere else if they wanted to for about six months and now they could go somewhere but they don't want to because it's dangerous <laughs> so so but the, the, the what I'd love to hear is that you obviously you deal with things by necessity. So, so just like you at, at our home and, and Sheila's and Christine's, we basically have all adapted and we, we cook at home more, even though other people yeah. do it a lot. And we also are at home more, but you have your secret space. I would love to hear because you deal with spaces every day, spaces for everybody, but you mm-hmm. uh, tell us as the designer of your own home, as I am, you made this place. Has the home changed or you changed during this COVID time? Uh, Well, I don't think the home changed. I think that, and you know this, through the process of design, because we bought property, it's, you know, in town in Madison, and we waited five or six years before we built. So I had the ability to dream about what life would be like in town. You know, we're half a mile from the beach, quarter of a mile from town. Mm. I have touching neighbors, you know, but I didn't really partake the way I have in the last year. But the, but the stage was set. I had imagined it all. And then I just got on an airplane every week and went somewhere else. Right. I'd come home and, you know, rush my weekend to invite friends in. But I never really savored. So through this last year, I've found that if I see a neighbor walking, I run out. I mean, it's human connection. Oh, my God, I'm an extrovert. I need people. Mm. You know, I'm the, the folks who cut my grass are now my new best friends. You know, it's <laughs> like we, 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 I, I took time to get to know my town. And I, uh, and yet, you know, in some wild way, I had my 17-inch Mac screen that connected me to the world. So my nonprofit, which is based in California, went from live meetings to um, virtual meetings. I ran, you know, I allowed clients to make design decisions without allowing me to read their body language, which was mm. also kind of awkward. Oh, no, let's pause but, on this. Let's, I'm going I'm I'm to stop you there. This is really interesting. Um, the, you, you have a binary here. You say, and and I want you to relate this to your home. You had, you had a paucity of interrelationships as a, with your home as a basis before you stopped flying. And by the way, Ross camouflages or flew more than any other person that I know (laughs) in the history of mankind. I mean, if she wasn't on a plane once a week, something was wrong. Um, uh, or several times a week. But having said that, you say on the one hand that that you would go out and talk to the people in your neighborhood, talk to your neighborhood. On the other mm-hmm. hand, you couldn't just literally be with the people that you've dedicated your life to work with to create spaces. What was that like, that binary? More contact with people that are around you and no contact with people that used to be around you that you spend your life thinking about and designing for? Yeah, I mean, I think it brought in my personal life, my home mm. space, my pad, my sphere of my first and, you know, my first space, um, and to some degree, my third space. 
Um, and we did something crazy. I always wanted to do it. And I looked at my husband and said, we're not going on vacation this year. Can I really, really, really have the labyrinth I've always wanted in my driveway? Wow. And so you must come. Wow. So I go out and walk alone. But I did that. I wouldn't have done that if the pandemic had not hit. And a lot of it is to think and think out loud to myself out under the sky, under wow. the full moon, and and think about the questions my clients were posing that I couldn't noodle with them. Because when the meeting was over, we didn't linger and hang out and talk. Mm. It was over, and, and another Zoom meeting was scheduled. So that, that in-between time that I think about, especially in healthcare, you know, I call them clinical touch points in this time in between. For me, there were my design touch points mm. on Zoom. And then this in-between time where problem-solving occurs, I used my home. I used my hmm. yard. The, the thing that I loved was I saw a full-year cycle of plants come and go. I would, hmm. like, come home and be surprised. Oh, look, the daffodils have bloomed. I missed it. <laughs> You're right. You know, and now I'm watching them inch by inch come out of the ground. And so those surprises, those muses, and even just, you know, really um, noticing patterns of people in the neighborhood differently than, mm. you know, I would have has, has, has been enriching. And I think it all plays, I mean, you know that, it all plays into who we are and what we give to our projects. So, and, and although we're in town, I feel like we're in nature. And mm. there's tons of research. I mean, my book is really about how to use research in, in making uh, built, environments connect to our health and well-being, well, there's no question that you have to blur the line between indoors and outdoors. So home was not just the bricks and mortar. It was getting outside and and letting that be part of your sanctuary or my pad, as I called it. So so we 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 listened to 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 Chris say that if you asked Nat, her husband, who she's been with for as long as I think we've all been with our spouses, which is forever, mm-hmm. and uh, and we basically heard her say that where he was was what she viewed as home. Uh, I can tell you that. My life has changed, and my wife's life has changed even more. How has your husband's life changed in this time, and is it is it a counterpoint or a confluence with what how your perception has changed? Well, if you ask me, I would tell you that we're together more. If you ask him, he says... He sees my back all the time on my computer, <laughs> talking to talking to people on a screen. He goes, "I don't get it. You do that all day long. Why?" I love and it. So, you know, so for us, you know, our interaction time is the beginning of the day and the end of the day because I do work. I am a workaholic, and you know, I might go out and and sort of do my contemplation, but I do. I work. <laughs> well, as you walk so, your labyrinth, it's a little your... different. But but we but we are together. You know, it's yeah. like because I used to go away for two, three nights at I a know. time, and so that you know that doesn't happen anymore. And I think that's been special. So so as you walk your labyrinth, and I think the people mm-hmm. should know that you can put a labyrinth in your driveway. Thank you, Roz, for giving them that 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 insight. Um, I do have a circular I, driveway. Sorry, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, whatever. As you, it, as you walk your labyrinth, just quickly, because this is the this is the last moments of this show, and I want people to be left with this. How yeah. do you think people's lives 
and their homes, and especially their lives in their homes, will be changed by this. So the premise of the labyrinth, and one could argue the premise of your home, is to pause before you enter. And you set an intention. And that's probably the most important thing in this pandemic, was the ability to pause. Mm. And as you set Mm. that intention, your first steps into the labyrinth, so your first steps into your home, are to be thinking about that intention and what it means to you. And, and, And with purpose, you put it in perspective. Once you reach the center of the labyrinth, you vow then to fully put yourself into that intention. So one might say when you come to your hearth in your home, Mm. you have arrived fully and you are present. And on the journey out of the labyrinth, it's how you will manifest that intention. Mm. So one might say that at some point, I thought it was interesting that we started the pandemic into spring And it was great in some ways during spring and summer here in New England because we were outdoors, but that winter was really coming to hearth. It was really coming inward, and we did not go out as often. So that intention of of being focused, you know, I could sort of talk about this moat that was around the house that Mm. kept this invisible virus out, but the intent was really to nurture ourselves. And so as we come out of winter and come into spring, it's like, what was that intention that we sent, and mm. how now will we manifest it? And I love both, you know, Sheila and Christine talked about looking at their homes differently. I think that intention, that pause, did that for us. And so um, it's bricks and mortar, but at the end of the, the day, you're the living organism, and, and, and you connect to well, so much. Thank you. Thank um, you so much. So, thank you so much yeah. for your time, Roz, because your insights are really the insights that everybody has but needs to hear from someone like you. So thank you for being on Homepage Radio. You're welcome. And this is Duo Dickinson. This is Homepage Radio. We're on once a month at WPKN. Do visit the site. We would love your support. And join us next month on Homepage Radio, WPKN 89.5 FM.